Okay, so I'm reading from the book of Luke, verses, or I'm sorry, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Do you ever have those song lyrics that just stick with you, that kind of haunt you? I have a lot of those different lyrics, and one of them was actually written by Bob Dylan uh, just shortly after I was born. But I heard it somewhere early in my life, the song, and I think you'd be familiar with it, but one lyric stands out among all of these great lyrics of Bob Dylan's. And how many times can a man turn his head and pretend that he doesn't see? It haunts me. It makes, in a good way, it haunts me. It makes me think about everyone around me that, and everyone around you that has needs that God has placed each one of us and all of us on the earth to help fill. The incarnation of Christ, many of us don't realize this, but the incarnation of Christ continues, continues on this day. The church is called the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, and we do incarnational. We, in other words, we flesh out God's will on the earth. And one of the ways that we do that most directly is by loving and by sharing and showing compassion. Jesus, in the story of the Good Samaritan, shows us the three primary kind of basic things about love, conversations that Jesus had about love in different ways, all encapsulated in one story, one conversation that he has with this, some say a lawyer, ruler, whatever, with this gentleman, but a conversation that we're really a part of. There's three recurring thoughts. The first one, and this is familiar because it shows up in this portion of Scripture, and it shows up again in Mark 12. 
One of the recurring thoughts of Jesus is that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And we see that in this story. Another recurring thought that we see in this story is that we're called to lay down our life for our friends. And Jesus literally lives that out, but we lay down our lives every time we give a piece or, or something of ourself, allow the grace and goodness of God, the love of God, the compassion of God to flow through us. It's how we lay down our life for our friends. And it's how Jesus, on the third recurring thought about love, is to love God above all else. Jesus basically said that was a non-negotiable peace, that if we want to be the people, because it can really be overwhelming, can it? When you start to think, it's one thing to read a, even a story and how challenging the, this conversation about the Good Samaritan can be, but it's just one person on the side of the road. But sometimes it feels like there's way too many people on the side of the road, and it can become overwhelming, and we can begin to feel like it's just too much. What difference can I make? A lot of us have heard that story that gets thrown around a lot about the kid that's on the seashore throwing the starfish in the water, and this guy comes by, this adult comes by, and looks at the kid and he says, why are you throwing those starfish in the water? He says, you think you're going to be able to throw all the starfish into the water and save their lives? And the kid says, well, I don't think I could throw all the starfish in the water, but it sure means a lot to the one I just threw in. It's such a beautiful perspective because it makes a difference what you do when it comes to compassion and loving and reaching out to the poor and the broken and those without and do the things by acts of compassion that God calls us to. We see in the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus essentially tells this, this uh, person he's having the conversation with that there's basically decisions that happen along the way that we literally make decisions to be loving or to be compassionate. So we need to, he, he communicates, you have to decide to be loving. It's a decision. To love or to be compassionate is a decision. And to love is simply this. Will, Dallas Willard says this about love. His definition is love is the intention to do good to something or someone. It's simply to look out for the good of another. The good, the goodness of God visiting their life. And if we can help do that in any way, we're, we're living in love. And it's a decision we make. Will I be a loving person on this day? Will I be a loving person when I encounter the people around me? Will I be a loving person when I go to work or to school tomorrow? Will I be the loving presence that God desires for me to be? It's a decision that we make, and we make it continuously. Now, to love our neighbor, as Jesus encourages here, is to seek what is good for our neighbor. So, to love is to seek what is good for our neighbor, which simply is what compassion is. To love our neighbor as ourself is to seek what is good for them, and it's to seek what is good, first of all, even for ourselves, not in a selfish way, but to be compassionate toward. When I want to love my neighbor, I just am deciding, I'm making a decision that I'll be compassionate to my neighbor. I'll do what it takes. Now, what happens to us, I think, is we think that love and compassion are simply acts. And acts are a part of loving and being compassionate, no doubt about it. But more than that, compassion and loving is an attitude, it's a way of being. 
It's who we are. It permeates our soul. It becomes, it becomes just a part that flows out of us. It's not just, will I do this act or will I do that act? It's we're compassionate and loving or we're not compassionate and loving. And it flows to various degrees in our life. So when it comes to deciding to be loving, what we're asking is that God would give us an attitude of love, that we would live in the free flow of compassion. I love this video. I cried uh, actually through this at our amazing team this morning because I hadn't seen it all week and I saw this thing this morning and just fell apart in tears. I've been on that street and it's actually Grand Rapids and I, I just fell apart. I thought I can so relate to this young guy that actually works in a homeless shelter. He's the head of the volunteer group and just that struggle that goes on with us. But I love the fact that he just like stayed with it because we just need to stay with it. The Samaritan, the scripture says here, he exemplifies a compassionate attitude. He's made a decision to be loving. It came before he saw the guy on the side of the road. It wasn't just he was going to do an act. It was an attitude that continued throughout the story. The scripture tells us in the NIV that he took pity. But the literal translation is he had compassion on the man. And pay attention when you read through when Jesus moves through the crowds, how many times Jesus has compassion on people. He has compassion on us. He flows with an attitude of compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion and we as his incarnation, the body of Christ, are called to move with compassion. So we're also, we also see in this we're, that we're called to decide who our neighbor is. The Samaritan, it's interesting because we say the good Samaritan. Some versions actually say the despised Samaritan because that's more true of the story. Ends up being a good Samaritan. But those in the crowd that Jesus was telling the story to would have never thought any Samaritan good can't be a good Samaritan to most of the people that Jesus is speaking to in this situation. But Jesus in his brilliance stays away from language that will cut off their listening and just uses the example in a way that it can challenge them and challenge us. Never says good Samaritan, never says bad Samaritan. It's just a person other than. And he moves. He decides that this person, even though it isn't connected to him, perhaps in his cultural level or in his nationality or in his way of being, is still his neighbor. It's still a person that God created. It's an image bearer like every person we lock eyes with is an image bearer. So Jesus clearly tells us in Luke ten twenty seven. he tells us, first of all, you love God. Love God with all your heart all your mind, your strength, your soul. So the play, and there really is, there really is a progression to what Jesus says here. Jesus literally says, if you want to be a compassionate, loving person, first of all, decide to love God. That's where it starts. Compassion flows from God's throne, flows from God's being, flows through the the activity of the Holy Spirit. Did you love the guy, the young guy in the video when he says, my heart, my chest was pounding. I could sense the Holy Spirit. And it's the truth. Compassion flows from the being of God. 
into our lives. When we love God and we put that as the priority in our life, we open ourselves up to the compassion and love that God wants to share with the world. It's sustainable in that way. Then Jesus says, then your, your first neighbor is to love yourself. That's kind of a surprise to us, but Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, you got to love yourself first, not in a selfish way, not in like self, some self-indulgent way, but have respect for the person that God created you to be, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. And you are an image bearer. And God's love is to you and for you and upon you. God is with you. So we, we love God first, then we begin to love ourselves and celebrate the fact. This is hard for some of us. Some of us don't feel we're worthy. But what makes us worthy is that we have put God in rightful place in our life. First of all, I'll love God. Secondly, I can love myself properly. Not in an arrogant, ego-driven way, but in a way that properly honors the gift that God has brought to the earth through my life. And I want to live into it. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you could picture this in these concentric circles, that the circle just continues to move out. And the, the others that Jesus is talking to primarily are those that we have some kind of intimate position with. In other words, we, we have some kind of intimate engagement. They are close to our life. The people that we are all called to love are the people that we do life with. It starts in our home. It starts in our workplaces, in our schools. It starts with those people we interact with. And it's in that place daily. How can I be compassionate and loving on this day with these people? How can I, how can I live into an atmosphere and an attitude of love and compassion? And the greatest crucible for our formation is the place of being loving and compassionate with ourself and then with those that are closest to us. If you want to change the world, start with yourself and then start with the people closest to you. Bring the love of God to them. And then as this gets wider, there's this issue that seems way too big. It's the wider world and it's sharing compassion with the wider world and it's really why we're here today. One of the reasons that we come into this place together is because we do compassionate acts corporately. The world changes through the corporate incarnational acts of the church. Local churches and the corporate body of Christ changing the world, bringing water to those that have no water, bringing food to those. There will be a billion children tonight that will not, they'll go to bed hungry, a billion children Trying to get food to that group needs to be one of the things that the church worldwide is busy about. Doing these things with health care and trying to deal with the, the problems that are very real for people. See, we may think, for instance, that our corporate act of goodness for the children in Haiti when we educate 1,000 kids a year or 600 kids a year or whatever, we might think, well, that's just really kind of a drop in the bucket. But a drop in a lot of different buckets leads to an awful lot of water. 
And it does make a difference for every one of those children that you educate. It does make a difference for every one of those families, their parents. You, bet, you better believe it matters to a child when and their parents and their family and their village when their life is being changed because they're being educated and the gospel is going to them. That is the corporate, wider world acts of the church. When we come together, we come together to share strategy about how can we love the way Jesus loves the world? How can we be compassionate like Jesus is compassionate toward the world? How can we do that, partner together, and make a difference in this world? That's why we do those things, yeah. Jesus shows us in this story that We need to decide to devote attention and intention and resources to our loving. Did you ever ask this question? This is an interesting question, but I think it's a good question for us. Can you afford to be compassionate? In your own life, can you afford to be compassionate? Can we as a church afford to be compassionate? There was a study back in the 70s. Um, at Princeton, and it was at the Princeton Seminary, and it was around, actually, this story of the Good Samaritan. And what the study did was it took all of these seminary students, people training to be priests and Levites, essentially, pastors and leaders in the church in some way. Anyway, in their classroom work, they were, they were given this assignment to study the Good Samaritan. And then at a certain point, they, the instructor said, okay, we want you to go. You're going to go across campus one at a time. I'll release you one at a time. You're going to go across campus and you're going to do a talk on the Good Samaritan. You have so much time. So we just want you to get up and present and we're going to grade you on your presentation. Well, little did they know that from the classroom to the presentation hall on the other side of the the campus, that they would encounter a plant, someone that was planted, that was uh, basically an actor acting like they were broken and, and in deep need and in pain. And they did this study about the reaction. And the vast majority of the seminary students didn't stop. Interesting, isn't it? Going to do a talk on the Good Samaritan and seminary students, not stopping. The overwhelming story or reason they said they couldn't stop was because they didn't have time. They didn't have space, which leads to a question for all of us. Can I afford to be compassionate? Do I have margin in my life? Is there some intention? And do I give attention to making room for those that are broken? If I encounter somebody in a a close way that might need my help, is there space enough in my life that I can do something with the resources I have? It's the challenge of all of us not just seminary students. Am I making sure I can afford to be loving and compassionate on a consistent basis? How do we make sure that we can afford to be compassionate in our own life? You have to decide to keep receiving so that you can keep on giving. It is in our receiving from God. It is in our paying attention 
to what God is trying to do in our lives, that God makes sure there's space. It's not just about money. It's about time. It's about our talents. It is about our treasure. Are we intentionally paying attention to loving? Are we making sure that a part of our life has space to make sure resources are released for God work on the earth? I was sitting, uh, Claire and I, about a week and a half ago, we were up in... Um, we were up in Sheboygan for an executive board meeting for the Michigan Human Trafficking Task Force. And um, at one point, the director uh, had given us this sheet as an exercise, and the sheet was filled with just words, a bunch of words, um, all great words. And she said, I want you to pick out two words and, um, that you would say are your most core values personally. And it was a pretty big deal, pretty challenging in that there's a lot of words. Like when you start to think about all the words you can use to, for your values. So everybody's like, well, I want to have more than two words, which she said, no two words. I'm going to hold you to it because first of all, we don't have enough time for more than two words, which then went down to one word once we started talking. But I was in our room, Claire and I, uh, the room that we were in, um, was it, it had a window that looked out into Lake Huron. And water is so life-giving to me. And one of the reasons, it's life-giving to all of us, right? But one of the reasons that I so resonate with water is around this principle of the vastness of the work. And honestly, when you're working on whatever it is, whether it's uh, hunger or it's you know, abuse or whatever it is, whatever the issue is that we need to extend compassion and love around, you know, issues that children have, whatever, you, you can be so overwhelmed. I was sitting in my uh, room for a few minutes and thinking, okay, out of all of this list, what am I going to put down? And the first word was faith, which seems like a no-brainer. Um, but I, I, I thought, what, what is my faith about other than I have a faith in Jesus, obviously, but do I have faith that this problem can be resolved in our lifetime, that human trafficking can be ended in our lifetime. I'm in, a, I'm in a house with 10 people, nine people and myself, and we're trying to do whatever we can. And the, the 10 people in that room probably represent tens of thousands of people because every person in the room is like connected to organizations like our own churches and different things. So it represents a lot of people, but it's a big issue, right? And I was looking out at the water, and water, one of the reasons why I so resonate with being around water is around this issue of compassion, because as I'm looking out on Lake Huron, I realize that the 10 people in that room can only bring so much, but we're like water drops. But as I'm looking out, I'm looking out at the Mackinac Bridge and across the Mackinac Bridge on the other side is Lake Michigan, and I'm thinking, you know what? All that Lake Huron is and all that Lake Michigan is, are just, they're just drops of water that have come together to do something amazing. So we went down and I said, faith is my word. And I have faith in the power of God to change human trafficking through our lives. Because I know that each one of us have been made and fashioned in the image 
of God. And with God's help, we can do the miraculous. So what can seem so overwhelming to us, church, so overwhelming in your life, you just do what you can. You bring what you can bring. You throw a starfish at a time, and then we'll come together, and we'll throw a bunch of starfish together. And before we know it, the world continues to change. You have changed the world for good. Your compassion and love has touched the earth, but we have only just begun as a people. And we want to make sure that we've only just begun as individuals. We want to make sure that we are continuing the incarnation of Christ on the earth. Can you afford to be compassionate? Can I afford to be compassionate? You better believe we can. When we're connected to God, we have all things we need. Let's stand. So we want to guide you in this response to the word. And I just wonder if you'd have the courage to just look at your hands. And your hands have done so many things. Maybe even as you're looking at your hands, consider the youngest person you've ever helped. These hands have held babies or taught children. So many things your hands have done that have helped. And think about the oldest person your hands have ever helped. Who was it? Allow uh, from the youngest to the oldest to just come into your mind and begin to pray for them even now. Knowing that you have been given these hands. Hands to wipe tears away. Hands to help straighten out the shoulders of someone who's bent over in shame your hands there's this beautiful prayer by Teresa of Avila that I want to pray together in a different way than we opened with and I'm going to read it to you and I want you to think about your own life and this reality for you that Christ has no body now but yours. You, Ron, Jessica, Jeff, Taneka, Teshna, Julia, Don, Greg, all of our friends here. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Where your feet go this week, where your hands go. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Look for people this week you can bring compassion to. Yours are the feet which he walks to do good. 
Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Your hands. Can you look at your hands again? Your hands, friends. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body on earth but yours. And so if you're brave enough, maybe you could lift your hands for a minute and just say to God, you know who you're going to bring into my life. I don't. Look down from a broken sky, traced out by the city lights. My world from a mile high, touchdown on the night. Touchdown on a cold black top. Hold on for the sudden stop. Breathe in the familiar shock of confusion, chaos, all those people go. taking time to go to the next steps table back there. Uh, You can go back, find your place, find your next step here at Crossroads Church, ways that you can belong, ways that you can be somebody that someone needs today uh, and every day. And you can find that information out in lanyards each and every week. And it even shows places where you can volunteer. So make sure that you check that out. So this morning, let me just pray and let's pray together pray over one another for this week as we go forth from this place. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Have an amazing week, everyone. Look for the people that need you. Look for the people to pray for and to help and to serve and to love. And we will see you back here next week as we sing it out now. Give me your eyes.